Welcome to the second season of the European Wound Management Association podcast, which is devoted to the prevention and management of diabetic foot ulceration. In this episode, we will be discussing the management of diabetic foot ulcers in a multidisciplinary team. My name is Samantha Holloway. I'm a reader and program director in the Centre for Medical Education, School of Medicine, based at the College of Life and Biomedical Sciences at Cardiff University in the UK. I'm very pleased to welcome Paul Chadwick. Paul is the Clinical Director at the College of Podiatry. He's also an Honorary Consultant Podiatrist in Manchester and was previously the Chair of Foot in Diabetes UK. Welcome, Paul. Hi, welcome, Sam, and thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to you today. Thank you. So, Paul, um, diabetic foot disease, in particular foot ulceration, is one of the most common, severe and costly complications for individuals with diabetes. From your perspective, what are the key strategies that can be used to increase healthcare professionals' awareness of the consequences of the development of diabetic foot ulcers? Thanks for that, Sam. Um, Yes, it's a great question. And it's... um, we should really start seeing this for the significant health problem that it is. Um, from a UK perspective, I know this is a European uh, meeting, but we know that there's a, a high mortality associated with uh, diabetic foot disease, around a, a 50% mortality at five years for people who develop uh, ischemic or neuropathic diabetic foot ulcers. In the UK, we spend about £1 billion pounds of the NHS budget on managing diabetic foot complications. And that's around 1% of the total budget of healthcare in the UK, which is, if you think about it, in all the other complications of, of, of that can affect health, 1% of it is spent just purely on diabetic foot complications. And we know there's around 180 amputations a week in the UK. I mentioned the mortality previously, and we perhaps need to start talking in terms to the um healthcare practitioners and and wider to society as a wider level about the the mortality associated with this condition. Um, It's it's more than many common cancers such as uh, breast or prostate cancer and perhaps we need to think about raising a public awareness campaign, a social campaign about the risks associated with somebody developing uh, this uh, devastating condition within the NHS. Also, there's no real targets for improvement as well. So we need to start thinking about working with our payers, our commissioners to see how that would work in terms of setting targets for reducing the number of people with diabetic foot disease. Mm, Yeah. You you mentioned the amputations, uh, Paul. I wonder, do we know if those are minor or major or are they all kind of collected together in terms of numbers? Uh, no, they are collected separately and there are more uh, minor amputation. By minor amputation, we mean mainly something from the forefoot or midfoot forward. And really a major amputation is anything above the ankle. So um, as a mixture, it's usually around a third to two thirds, but um, there are um, obviously differences depending on which country you're in. Yeah. And perhaps I can just ask a follow-up question. Uh, I guess we can't ignore the pandemic and COVID situation that we're in. Have we seen an exponential increase in these sort of major amputations because of patients presenting later, not being able to see professionals? Um, uh, anecdotally, it's, it's what I'm hearing. I was on a call this morning actually discussing this with a number of trusts in the London area where they're starting to see uh, an increase in the number of people being admitted um, with the late presentations of diabetic foot complications. So um, he used the analogy um, this morning of his trust normally has around one person on negative pressure wound therapy and two people potentially a month on um 
other kind of advanced therapies. And at the moment, he had 13 patients on, on negative pressure wound therapy because of the late presentation, the requirement for surgical drainage and debridement. So we haven't got accurate data yet. A lot of it is anecdotal, but we're starting to see the, the sort of repercussions of the, um, the COVID impact and the fact that people weren't having preventative foot care and maybe were presenting late because of the fear of COVID. Absolutely. So that raises the uh, profile then, as you say, of a public health campaign and social awareness becoming really more important now, isn't it really? Absolutely. We need to be making this, um, we're fighting a lot of other causes that do have significant health impacts and often Mm -hmm. people really um, negate to think about the foot and um, and the lower limb complications generally. And hopefully the the development within the UK, again, sorry to be UK specific of the National Mm -hmm. Wound Care Strategy will really focus people's minds on the five billion pounds that are spent on uh, lower limb complications, sorry, wound care within the UK. So Mm -hmm. um, it's... It's, it's it's the time that this was raised in the in the agenda across sort of the payers and across society generally. Okay, thank you. Um, in terms of non-specialist healthcare professionals, what guidance uh, would you give to them in terms of engaging them in prevention and management of diabetic foot ulcers? I think this is key. I mean, it might sound a little bit flippant. Probably the most important thing is to actually take the shoes and socks off. Um, yeah. We do have this. I remember many moons ago about a, a podiatrist, uh, sorry, a patient who presented for a, a screening for their foot, and the the, the, the non-specialist um, said, "We don't need to take your shoes and your, your socks off because we can tell from looking at your legs whether your feet are going to be okay." So really, it's it's a little bit flippant, but yeah. we do need to make sure people take the shoes and socks off and really check for the any signs of damage, any new wound, any new discoloration, any new pain, new swelling, anything that may indicate some kind of change some kind of trauma some kind of problem with the foot and I've used um, what I describe as the weakest link in the chain around diabetic foot um, management Um, I've been an advocate of integrated healthcare for a long time and really the weakness in any uh, integrated care system is the person who first sees that patient with a foot problem and recognizes it as a diabetic foot problem, a diabetic foot complication and acts accordingly. So what we need to do really is support the people who may be a a practice nurse who's not used to seeing a a DFU on a regular basis. It may be a district nurse. It might be a a relative. We're trying to get people aware of Mm -hmm. if there's a problem with the foot. So if this is new damage, new wound, new discoloration, that there are easy referral routes to get them seen by a specialist team as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that underpins anything if we can do something with these these um people who come into contact with the dfu at the first instance and get um urgent referral uh, rapid referral unfettered referral to specialist teams and we should be able to reduce the amputation rate significantly and also um i think uh, there was a point you were making about maybe everyone's responsibility that i was getting from that and that's interesting because that's what we talk about with pressure ulcer prevention it's it's everybody's responsibility to think about that isn't it it is, and it's often ignored. I mean, as, as you've said, pressure ulcers are now very prevalent. Everyone recognises that pressure ulcers are potentially caused by harm and by a lack of awareness of, of healthcare professionals who come into contact with people and think about pressure ulcer. And we've done a lot of work around pressure ulcer prevention, and we need to probably be thinking about moving that towards uh, DFU prevention. As you said very rightly, it's everybody's responsibility. 
because we get into the situation with pressure ulcers where there could be a safeguarding issue or has there been neglect? Is there a clinical incident? But I'm not sure um, I see that reflected maybe in the diabetic foot world. I'm not coming from a diabetic foot specialist background myself. I'm just thinking generally of, um, you know, what I've been reading. And I just don't see it's quite the same. And I'm not sure whether it should be. You may say, well, that's a bit punitive to start talking about safeguarding and clinical incidents. But I do wonder, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, um, certainly um, working within the NHS, we did used to report any new foot ulceration. There is a National Diabetic Foot Audit as well, which helps mm-hmm. people keep track of um, ulcer prevalence and ulcer outcomes within areas. Interestingly, um, there are new posts being developed in NHS resolution. I know it's a, a, an English, um, again, focus, but this reflects the increasing amount of litigation that's being produced as a result of diabetic foot disease. So um, the government are talking to take notice, starting to take notice of this increase uh, in the number of people complaining and litigating against uh, healthcare professionals for what they perceive to be poor care. So mm. it will be pushed higher on the agenda, I think, in some respects, which from a bad point in the sense that it's waiting until people are starting to get litigation and having poor outcomes. But there is this issue for practitioners that diabetic foot disease has many complications. And when people suffer with amputations or long-term wounds, they will be looking sometimes for people to blame. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Um, It's well established that multidisciplinary foot care teams are considered the best approach for the prevention and management of individuals with diabetic foot ulceration. In your opinion, who are the essential members of the team and how can effective decision making be facilitated within a team? Um, and this is always a difficult um, question to answer in terms of the members of the team because you hopefully don't want to miss anybody out. Um, but um, really, um, the, we've got podiatrists. Um, uh, I see as pivotal in the team, obviously, as a, as a consultant podiatrist and, and the national director at the, at the College of Podiatry. But also within that, we have orthopaedic and, and vascular surgeons and podiatric surgeons within that, that group as well. We would see as key members an infection specialist, whether that's a microbiologist or another type of infection specialist, an orthotist, a diabetes consultant or diabetologist or medic. And then probably wider than that, you have a supporting group such as diabetes specialist nurses, tissue liability nurses, physiotherapists. And also interestingly, and we should probably make sure we continue to see this as the patient becomes part of that team as well because it's their care and as we move towards sort of more patient activation we need to make sure that we inform or involve rather the patient as part of that team and I think going back to my first point is that I see the podiatrist as the pivotal point point within um, that multidisciplinary team Um, We did a piece of work a few years ago, um, which was published in the Journal of Wound Care, looking at the differences between pressure ulcers and uh, diabetic foot ulcers and the different treatment algorithms. But one of the things we came forward with is this um, role of a, a wound care navigator or a diabetic foot navigator. So when a patient presents with a problem, the podiatrist acts as the navigator um, and sort of facilitates referrals to the appropriate members of the team. This, this in turn, results in good communication, which is key to any team uh, working. We also unfettered timely access to an appropriate speciality. The developing field of technology enhanced care will also hopefully also increase communication and good decision making. So as people move more towards um, focused care in the community, uh, the use of technology to support that would be will be vital in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. That kind of fits in with the the move towards sort of telemedicine and online uh, appointments and consultations, isn't it, that uh, patients can access, hopefully. And and that may be in place for quite some time, given the current situation. Uh, Where do you think we are in terms of engaging patients and where appropriate their caregiver in the management of their ulcer? What are the enablers and barriers of shared decision making between patients and their healthcare provider? Again, um, interestingly, before the pandemic happened, um, the new um, NHS plan was published, long-term plan, and that the key um, principle of patients being more involved in their care was identified in in that NHS long-term plan prior to the, which again I said was published prior to the pandemic. This publication was with a background of increasing population living with comorbidities and the need really to balance demand on services and supply of services to make sure that care was optimised for these patients as we see more and more people with um, comorbidities such as diabetes. So we need to start thinking about putting people at the centre of a more sustainable healthcare system uh, with services shaped around their needs and their preferences. I talked a little bit earlier about patient activation and, and this is really key where we start getting patients more involved and it describes that knowledge and skills and confidence a person has in managing their own healthcare. And we know some of the evidence that's been done around patient activation in other areas has shown that it's become, uh, as more people supported, they become the benefit from better health outcomes, uh, improved experiences of care and fewer un- unplanned care admissions. We know also from the evidence that it's more important for people with long-term conditions such as diabetes. And within that, we can start talking about wounding, really, because a lot of people have wounds for a prolonged period and maybe actually never fully healed, but actually put in remission. So when we think about diabetic foot ulcers, we often get patients who have high levels of recurrence. So these patients basically live with foot ulceration or the risk of foot ulceration for a prolonged period. We know the pandemic accelerated this process. And the, the use of um, virtual consultations and the rapid development of teaching aids for patients and the relatives and carers supported this process. My personal view is that it seems to have been very successful. We need to balance this with uh, patient safety, but it needs to be maintained, this, this push, putting the patient at the centre of their health. Uh, the culture of clinician control has to be reset rapidly, so we need to put the focus, the focus of control back towards the patient's giving ownership back to or sharing the ownership with a person is a positive step. And I think it's something we should really take from the pandemic as a, as a, as a, as a principle as we move forward. And, it's, and it will become part, hopefully, of the new normal that we get patients more involved in, the, um, in their care. So that was quite a long answer. But I also come to the second point you made around challenges and barriers mm. to inter- implementation of this. And we've had probably instances in the past where patients were unwilling to be part of their care. This has probably mm-hmm. changed a little bit as a result of COVID. But also clinicians often act as barriers because, as you know, and I'm sure you're the same, Sam, people come into healthcare because they want to do good for people. So they want to do as much as they can for, for the patient. But this can disempower people and the locus of control can be too, become too much for the clinician. And the pandemic has shown us, um, it's an unfortunate way of showing us, but it's shown us that um, patients want to take more control where they can. And we can then support them with managing their care as we move forward. We had a particular case um, in Glasgow, for example, that was reported on Twitter where a patient was managed with a foot ulcer, supported locally, and this went on to heal in about eight weeks. So it's an interesting concept that we're putting patients back into control of their own health, but I think it's something that should be maintained. Yeah, that's right. And there were a couple of things you've mentioned there, I think, that were 
key to me and, and, and struck a chord was confidence. You know, how do we instill confidence in patients with uh, with diabetes when you think of all the things that can be wrong with them systemically? You know, it's it's a very frightening disease, isn't it? You know, some people talk about it as being the worst disease, worse than cancer. Um, so it is about instilling confidence. And that's really important then in terms of the relationship between the healthcare provider and that patient, isn't it? It is. And I think one of the key elements to this is is the consultation uh, at the commencement of any sort of care process, understanding that you come across what was described actually in the National Service Framework many moons ago as a care planning approach to care so that it becomes a joint consultation, a negotiated goal setting consultation where you agree and discuss goals and who's going to do what in in, in terms of the patient care. And, hopefully by um, discussing with the patient and bringing out their um, levels of confidence and understanding that we can get them more involved in, in their care. And of course, some some healthcare professionals are looking towards things like motivational approaches, motivational interviewing to help facilitate that. And of course, it's probably a good point to mention here is that the uh, Yuma person-centred document has just been released with an accompanying video about that. So um, for those listening, don't forget to access that new document, which will probably give some very helpful advice and guidance on how we can look at person-centred care. Thank you, Paul. So I don't think we can ignore the significant impact that the coronavirus pandemic has had on many vulnerable groups, including individuals with diabetic foot disease and ulceration. And we've already talked about a couple of aspects of um, the pandemic. But what have been your observations about the impact and what can multidisciplinary diabetic foot care services do to try and improve patient outcomes? I think one of the, uh, uh, interestingly, again, the um, the services were stopped overnight one of the things that were maintained however were was classed as essential services even through the the worst of the uh, first wave of the pandemic was the maintenance of wound healing clinics and particularly multidisciplinary foot teams were attempted to be maintained however there was issues because a lot of the medics and the surgeons and the uh, people involved in the multidisciplinary team were put onto covid uh, rotors and we're seen, often seen being um, sort of being moved into sort of COVID management situations. So it became clear that we needed to think about how we delivered care differently. And a lot of the front line of of, um, of multidisciplinary care and diabetic foot care moved to community into primary care, and we started to see much more use of virtual consultations where we could have podiatrists or nurses or people who are managing the patients either in their own homes or closer to their own homes using things such as WhatsApp in the first stages of, of, of the pandemic, which mm. moved on to other more sophisticated means of communicating. But I think that was key and that um, that was a positive step in terms of, of, of moving things towards a, a more integrated approach. So I, I think I mentioned the WhatsApp thing, but um, I did. there was a case where, the, again, very early on in the pandemic where I think we saw this in Manchester where a podiatrist was seeing a patients in their own home and querying with a vascular surgeon who was based at the acute centre who was doing COVID duty about whether this patient needed to be admitted and the use of WhatsApp at this point led to the patient not being admitted and being managed effectively in their own care and I think in their own home rather. I think the, the continuation of that kind of care is, is, is vital in terms of um, certainly taking us through any further uh, impact of COVID but also moving forward that we start to use digital solutions more fully. Okay, thank you. Um, so finally, what would be your key take-home messages about multidisciplinary team approaches for individuals with diabetic foot ulcers? 
I mentioned briefly right at the start around mortality, and we know that DFUs have significant complications. We know they have these ulcerations, infections, often requiring surgery, often requiring admissions, but we know also that patients have a high mortality. So when we're seeing a patient who presents with a DFU, start thinking about how you, as that first point of contact for that patient, can have an impact in terms of their cardiovascular health. We know that MDTs, and the evidence goes right back to 1986 when Professor Mike Edmonds at King's wrote his seminal paper on the um, benefits of multidisciplinary team working around the, the issue of DFU. We know that they reduce complications and that they reduce amputations. So it's key that patients have access to, however that's done in this new era, um, to the MDT. We need to consider the use of virtual tools and enhanced technologies to facilitate communication and improve outcomes. And I think I mentioned the use of this, what we would describe as a navigator to optimise MDT working and communication. Thank you very much for your insights, Paul. Before we close this episode, I'm pleased to announce that this year, Yuma, supported by Ergo Medical, is providing two grants for innovative projects related to diabetic foot ulcers. The deadline for applications is the 20th of December 2020. Please visit the Yuma website for more information. That's www.yuma.org. You have been listening to the second episode of the Yuma podcast, focusing on the management of diabetic foot ulcers in a multidisciplinary team. Don't forget that you can listen to our previous podcast episodes on antimicrobial stewardship, atypical wounds, person-centered wound care, and more by visiting our website. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, don't forget to press like and share it with your colleagues. If you want to learn more about all of Yuma's activities, please visit our website and follow us on social media, which is at Yuma Wound. We also hope to see you at the Yuma Virtual Conference on the 18th and 19th November 2020. We have an exciting programme of activities. Until next time, thank you.